We're going to turn now to uh, John chapter 4, and we're going to look at, at the first 26 verses of John 4. So let's hear God's word now together. John 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and discipling more dis- uh, making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and uh, drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the, hour is now, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Great God in heaven, Father, who gives the spirit without measure, Would you give us hearts to receive Jesus, your son, who is the truth? May we hear and believe and obey the words you speak to us now. We ask 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, over the next uh, three weeks, we're going to be looking carefully at one of Jesus' most famous conversations recorded in all the Gospels, this encounter with this Samaritan woman at the well. And it's probably important to remember that, uh, that in the chapter just before this chapter, this is John chapter 4, John chapter 3, Jesus had another encounter with a man named uh, Nicodemus. And John has placed, the, who wrote this gospel, he's placed these two encounters, these two conversations next to each other in the gospel because these two characters, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, are basically exact opposite people. You know, Nicodemus is a man. He's a uh, Jew. He's a religious leader. He's a Pharisee. He's very educated. He's a teacher and a leader of God's people. And he comes to Jesus at night. The Samaritan, on the other hand, is a woman. She is a foreigner. She's a uh, religious outcast. She's uneducated. And she comes to Jesus in the middle of the day, in uh, the sixth hour, it says, at noon, in, in plain days, to, to, to meet with Jesus. And what, what, what is John getting at by placing these two stories side by side? Well, we are learning through the Gospel of John that Christianity is not primarily a philosophy. It's not about techniques, about how to get in touch with your spiritual side. It's not a, even primarily a moral code. Christianity is about meeting a person, about meeting Jesus Christ. And by placing these two individuals next to each other, John says these two people are exact opposites, and yet they both came to meet this person, Jesus. And which means it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your gender, your race, the past decisions that you have made in your life, your socioeconomic status. Jesus came to meet you and to meet me and to share with us his grace. And so this morning, I want to talk about that topic of meeting Jesus. How does someone come to know this person, Jesus Christ, personally? How do we come to receive his love? How do we come to believe in him and to obey him and trust in him? How does that happen in our lives? And there are three things that Jesus does in this passage that I think help us to answer that question. This is those three, what the three things are. Jesus overcomes our obstacles. Jesus answers our questions. And Jesus satisfies our thirst. He overcomes our obstacles, he answers our questions, and he satisfies our thirst. And, you know, I'll tell you, this story is it's one of the most beautiful, compelling stories in all the scriptures. So I'm so thankful to look at it together. So, so three, three things about how we come to know Jesus. The first is this, is that Jesus overcomes our obstacles. Now, the woman in this passage clearly thinks there are significant obstacles to her even having a conversation with Jesus, let alone coming to know him and coming to love him. And you see that there in, in verse 7 where it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? 
For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. She says, we, you and I should not even be talking to each other. And the two obstacles in particular that she points out are in that little phrase, a woman of Samaria. The two main obstacles she sees are her, her race and her gender. And it's amazing that the same social obstacles, that barriers that we are talking about so much in our culture today are the same barriers that Jesus was overcoming 2,000 years ago back in, in, in the Middle East. And so first, how does Jesus overcome the obstacle of race? And well, it's, you know, it's important to have some, an important piece of background to this story is who are the Samaritans? And the history of the Samaritans goes back to the 10th century B.C. In the 10th century B.C., the kingdom of Israel had a civil war. And so the nation divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, whose capital later became the city of Samaria, and actually the whole northern kingdom was often called Samaria in the Old Testament, in the 8th century, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom and they took the people into exile into Assyria. And so some of the people went into exile, some people stayed in, in the land. And during that time, they intermarried with some of the Assyrians and some of the, the foreign nations in, in uh, Canaan, in the promised land. And they started adopting some of the pagan practices from those peoples around them. And so from that time forward, the southern kingdom saw the northern kingdom as this uh, inferior mixed race of religious heretics. And so a massive racial and religious uh, tension existed between the Jews of the southern kingdom and the Samaritans of the northern kingdom. Now, Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom. Samaria, Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom. And Jerusalem was about 80 miles from Galilee. Galilee is where Jesus, Jesus was a Jew, but he grew up in Galilee. And so, you know, if you think of Seattle as Jerusalem, Bellingham is, Whatcom County is Galilee. And in between Jerusalem and Galilee is where Samaria was. And so that's why it says in verse 1, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making disciples, making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea. Judea is that southern region. And departed again for Galilee in the north. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now the main road did go through Samaria from Judea to, to Galilee, but many of the Jews would also, they would go over the Jordan River and say, you know, I'm going to go around Samaria so I don't have to go near these people. And so that's why commentators throughout history have said, you know, there's something more that John is getting at when he says he had to pass through Samaria. There was a divine appointment for Jesus to break through the racial barrier and to go meet this woman. That's why, that's why he had to go to Samaria is because of the divine appointment. And the reason this is important is because was that the Old Testament promised when the Messiah was going to come, the Messiah was going to reunite the fractured Israel, you know, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. He's going to bring the Samaritans and the Jews together as one people who would worship the Lord together. And actually, it wasn't just the Samaritans they were going to bring. It was all the ethnic groups of the world. All the different uh, nations around the world were going to come as one people to begin to worship the Lord. And this was going to happen through the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, uniquely can overcome the obstacles of race. 
And uh, historically, I'll tell you, this is proven true. Now, I don't mean that racism has not been an issue in the church. It's been an issue many times in history throughout the church. It's an issue today in the church. But the person of Jesus, what racial group, if I was to ask you, what racial group has been most attracted to Jesus, most identified with Jesus in history? Many of you say white Europeans. Is white Europeans who have associated with Jesus. That is not true. I mean, today, about 85% of the Christians in the world, the people who love Jesus, live in the non-white majority world of Africa, South America, and, and Asia. And uh, just uh, Christianity is not a Western religion anymore. Jesus had to go to Samaria, and he sees all the ethnic groups of the world now, and he feels that same divine appointment to go to them. And he is going to them. He has gone to them, and they have been attracted to him He's the one who has reached over the barriers of race and ethnicity to all diverse people groups. So Jesus first overcomes our obstacles. In the first place, the obstacle of race. Second, how does Jesus overcome the obstacle of gender? Now, we don't consider this conversation to be that strange, that Jesus in the middle of the day is at a well alone with a woman having a conversation with her. But that would not have been the case in the ancient world, okay? In the ancient world, this encounter would have been considered scandalous. And D.A. Carson, the New Testament scholar, says this, that within a generation of this episode, Jewish leaders would codify a law that reflected longstanding popular sentiment to the effect that all the daughters of the Samaritans are menstruants from their cradle and therefore perpetually in a state of ceremonial uncleanness. The Jews believed that Samaritan women were always on their period all the time and you should not go near them because that made them unclean. And so it's, it's not only that you should be, not be talking with a woman, uh, but the Samaritan women were unclean. Jesus, according to cultural norms, should be nowhere near this woman. But then Jesus knows even more about her than simply that she was a woman from Samaria. You might have noticed there in verse 6 where it says, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which means it was noon. And commentators, you know, pointed out that women in the ancient world and women today would not go to travel to the well in the middle of the day at noon under the blazing sun. They went early in the morning and they went in the evening and they went in groups. That was an important social time where you caught up on the day and you talked about your families when you walked to the well. And here's this woman going alone in the middle of the day to the well tells us that she has been ostracized by her community. Jesus knows this about her. Actually, it's something you see throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus has this supernatural insight to people's lives and hearts and, you know, what's happened to them in their life and how they think and what their personality is like. And we see that in this passage that he knows us. And so after Jesus and his woman, they have this little exchange and they talk about the well and they talk about living water and we'll, we'll come back to that. Jesus gently reaches deeper into her life. This is what he says in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. 
Now, I, this is a fascinating little exchange because, first of all, it's a pretty personal thing for him to say, why don't you go get your husband? I mean, especially when he knows her situation. And she's truthful. She says, you know, I don't have a husband. Uh, that's not quite the whole truth. But, you know, Jesus commends her. And he says, well, you're right. Okay, you're right in saying that you don't have a husband. You're being honest. But he wants to go deeper. And, you know, I'll tell you, even in our day, a day of sexual liberation, if a woman had five husbands, we would still think, like, what is wrong with you? You got five husbands? What, what's happening with you? That was not a deterrent to Jesus. No one else wants to talk to this woman, and Jesus wants to talk to her. And it's fascinating because he's offering her grace. His first word to her is grace. I'll give you living water. You'll live forever. He also gives her a challenge, Right? And one of the things that you'll find in your life is that Jesus has a way of getting us to talk about things that we've avoided talking about, maybe for years, maybe for decades of our lives. And he draws those things out of us. Um, and he, we know they need to be addressed in our life. You know, John chapter 1 said that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why he's here is to deal with our sin. So we should expect that he has a way to turning the conversation towards these dark areas that we try to keep covered up. It is Jesus' willingness to reach across barriers that no one else is willing to cross that has made him so irresistibly attractive to so many billions of diverse men and women across all cultures and ethnicities over the last 2,000 years. It's because he's willing to cross these barriers. People are drawn to him. There is no obstacle that Jesus cannot overcome in us coming to know him. No obstacle. But when we are, you know, first attracted to Jesus, you know, he reaches over a barrier to us. Uh, almost the first thing that happens, maybe this is you, you're first attracted to Jesus, you have questions. There are... All kinds of questions. You have questions about God. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is the Bible about? What is church about? How do you live as a Christian? There's all kinds of questions. And that's true about this woman in this passage. She definitely has questions. And so in this passage, we see that not only Jesus overcomes our obstacles to him, but second, that Jesus answers our questions. And one of the things I think that's so endearing and attractive about the woman in this passage is that even though she's disgraced and she's outcast and she's a foreigner and she's uneducated, she's a pretty sharp woman. And uh, throughout this passage, she keeps wanting to talk about the Bible and talk about theology, and she has all these questions, and she's not afraid to kind of get into it with Jesus. So you see in verse 10 where it says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying, do you give me a drink? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. So she starts talking about Jacob, the patriarch, from the book of Genesis. So she knows about the book of Genesis. And then she asks this pretty significant question, are you greater than Jacob, the patriarch? First question. And then she goes on, verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And actually, that could be translated, sir, I perceive that you are the prophet. And that actually, the Samaritans only believed in the first five books 
of the Bible, which are called the Pentateuch or the books of Moses. And in Deuteronomy, which is the fifth of those books, Deuteronomy 18, there's a prophecy where it says there's going to come another prophet that's like Moses, like a new, greater Moses is going to come. And so first she says, are you greater than Jacob? And now she's saying, are you greater than Moses? And, uh, and then she goes on in verse 20, our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she knows about Genesis. She knows about Deuteronomy. She wants to know about the proper place to worship. She's ready with questions for Jesus. And she's been thinking about these things, and she wants to have a discussion. She wants to figure them out. And this is one thing that, you know, I love about Jesus, about the Bible, about Christianity, is Jesus takes people who are uneducated, and he turns them into intellectuals. And the Spirit draws out of them a thinking mind. And, you know, I know for me, I was, I was a high school dropout. I'd read one book in my life before I read the Bible. And it was really how I became an educated person was through reading the Bible. And there was a, a man that I met when I was in St. Louis who led this enormous inner city uh, ministry, and he, he had built this whole ministry. He was a pastor of a church. They had a whole apartment complex. It was transitional housing where people who are homeless, who are, who are, you know, addicts, would come and they'd live and they would be discipled while they lived in this apartment building and had all kinds of community development programs. I mean, this man was brilliant. He was a leader. He was a public speaker. He was inspiring. He didn't even have a high school diploma. And he carried around his Bible. He's like, this book, that was, <laughs> that was my education. He read the, bo- read the book and it made him, he turned into this brilliant man. And, you know, that's happened around the world in missions. You know, missionaries go and they start schools in, in, you know, in cultures and they teach little boys and girls to read so that they can read the Bible. And that literacy transforms the culture and empowers boys and empowers uh, girls. And the other thing is that it's not only that this woman comes with questions and that she's thinking and she's smart, but that Jesus answers her questions. He takes her questions seriously. He doesn't say, I'm the rabbi, and you are some uneducated woman, and I don't have time for your questions. He's not like that at all. And, you know, she's trying to change the subject by talking about worship. And he's like, yeah, okay, we'll talk about worship, whatever you want to talk about. I'll I'll answer those questions. And, in fact, it's in this setting with this foreign, disgraced woman at a well that he gives one of his rare declarations of who he is, where Jesus says, this is who I am. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus answers our questions. Now, if you read through the Gospels, though, you'll find that Jesus doesn't answer everyone's questions. (laughs) And I think the reason for that is because there's two different kinds of questions that people bring to Jesus. If you read about the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the chief priests, when they start asking Jesus questions, it's coming from a place of pride and skepticism. They're trying to prove Jesus wrong. And that's not like this woman who says, okay, you are the prophet and you are the Messiah. I got lots of questions for you. I've been dying to ask them. And you're finally the person who can tell me the answer. She wants to learn. And if we come to Jesus with a kind of attitude that says, you know, my intellect is the infallible judge of all truth, and I will decide whether Jesus answers meet my 
you know, my standard and whether he, I approve of his answers of truth. Jesus is not going to play that game. He knows that we need, we need to be judged by him. He doesn't need to be judged by us. We need to be judged by him. But this, women, this woman's questions are simply she wants to know. She wants to learn. She wants to understand. And he is remarkably willing to engage those questions. And I'll tell you, when you come to know Jesus and you walk with him, you're going to have lots of questions, and you will find how remarkably comprehensive the, the, the Bible's theology is, Jesus' answers for us, answers that you get from the church, and you will find that your mind intellectually satisfied. It's incredible. And so uh, I think one of the things that we see about this woman is that the questions like these are revealing that she has a thirst to know God and to understand his kingdom. And so that leads to a third point about how a person comes to know and trust and love Jesus. First, Jesus overcomes our obstacles. Whatever obstacles we think there are from us knowing him, he can overcome them. He does overcome them. And uh, second, Jesus also answers our questions. When we come to him with sincerity, he teaches us. The third thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus satisfies our thirst. And in this scene, uh, you know, you may have noticed there's kind of an abrupt shift in the conversation. Because in verses 13 and 14, Jesus starts talking about quenching this woman's thirst, right? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But in verse 15, the woman clearly thinks that he's talking about literal water, right? Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She thinks he's talking about physical water. How is he going to help her understand the difference between the living water that he's talking about that will, and the physical water that she's, you know, thinking about? Well, verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Why does Jesus abruptly transition from talking about living water to talking about this woman's five husbands? Why is it change in the conversation? The five husbands reveal that this woman is thirsting for something. Jesus is helping her to see that she has a deeper thirst in her soul. It's not simply that she keeps going to the well to quench her thirst. She keeps going to different men to quench a deeper thirst in her. There is something she is looking for from them. And what Jesus is saying is that the living water that he is offering her will satisfy that thirst, that deeper thirst that husbands and boyfriends will never be able to satisfy for her. And, you know, maybe you can relate to this woman. Maybe you have that in your mind, that if, you, if I find someone, they will satisfy this deep thirst in me. Maybe that's been true for you at a time in your life. For some reason, I can't even have a break in between my boyfriends or girlfriends Maybe you feel shame about that. Maybe you say, yeah, I see that I go from relationship to relationship looking for someone to satisfy that thirst. I wish I didn't have that thirst. I hate that thirst. I wish I could rip that thirst out of me. I wish I could dull it or numb that thirst. Jesus doesn't say to her, stop longing and stop thirsting. 
He says, I am the one you are thirsting for. That thirst is supposed to lead you to me. And he's probably referencing Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah 2 said, Jeremiah says, we are all go to broken cisterns that just leak out water to satisfy our thirst, but the Lord is the fountain of living waters. He's the only one who can satisfy us. And even in this passage, what does Jesus do for this woman? He sees her. He knows her. He knows her story. He knows all about her. He talks with her. You know, he starts up a conversation with her. He meets her in her despair and loneliness. You know, she's by herself at the well and in the middle of the day, and he goes to be with her. He listens to her. You know, he interacts with her questions. He thinks she's thoughtful. He says, you know, that's a good question. We should talk about that. And uh, he likes how she thinks. He also leads her. He teaches her. He challenges her life. But he's also kind to her. He encourages her. He says, you know, you're right. You have been honest with me. You haven't been totally honest. We're going to go, but you've been honest. He encourages her. And also, he alone, uh, he is alone with her and does not, uh, does not see her primarily according to what she, she can offer him sexually. She has never met a man like this. He is who she has been longing for, going to all those five husbands. And the reason Jesus overcomes our obstacles and answers our questions is because Jesus knows that he alone can satisfy the deep thirst of our soul. And he wants to do that. And so that's why coming back to the beginning of the sermon, Christianity is not primarily a philosophy or a technique for how to connect with your spiritual life or about how to live. Christianity is a person, the person of Jesus. Because philosophies don't know you. Philosophies don't listen to you. Philosophies aren't kind to you. Philosophies don't go to Samaria, to the well where you are by yourself and go meet you there when you have no friends and when you're alone Jesus does do that. And so meeting Jesus, there is no obstacle he cannot overcome. He will answer our questions because he's kind and he's good. But ultimately, he is the one we are thirsting for. And as he comes to each one of us with love and intimacy and kindness and grace, the question for us is simply, will we receive him? Let's pray together. Our great Father in heaven, we praise you that we have stories like this one that prove to us the true God, the living God, the creator of all things is so good, so kind, so honest, so patient, so truthful. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would overcome whatever obstacles we bring here, whatever barriers we see to knowing your love that are present in this room. And we pray that you would give us hearts by your spirit to receive the grace, the living water that you offer to us. We long for it. In Jesus' name, amen.